our mission is to be the most helpful and supportive platform for young people as they journey through the final years of education and into work. Mm -hmm. um, so by helping them really understand themselves first and foremost, which I think is just a massive, like missing piece, um, yeah. it, it seems like we jump from, you know, that them doing like core subjects to okay what career do you want to do you know and actually let's understand you as a person let's let's help you more confidently know yourself and articulate that story mm -hmm. um so there's the self-discovery piece and then there's the discovering what's out there when it comes to your career there really is no one formula for success and if someone had asked me 20 years ago what career i would be working in today I doubt I would have said employer branding, a career that didn't even exist at the time. Some of the best stories I've ever heard didn't follow a plan. They simply embraced the journey. And that's why I've created this podcast, to share the many career stories that have shaped the people behind them, and to encourage future generations to trust more in the process, instead of stressing over getting it right the first time. I'm Steve, and welcome to the My Career Story Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the My Career Story podcast with me, your host, Steve Keith. Now, today marks the start of National Careers Week here in the UK, one of my favourite weeks of the entire year. You might be asking yourself why. Because it helps to address one of the biggest problems faced by our young people today, deciding which career path to pursue after leaving education. And let's be honest here, it's not really a problem faced only by young people. With research released at the start of this year by People Management, that over half of UK workers are considering moving job this year because they are unhappy, feel undervalued, are underpaid, and stressed due to the demanding always-on culture that has become embedded in modern life. It's making the world of careers become unnavigable in some ways, which is one of the reasons why I signed up to Seth Godin's podcasting fellowship just over a year ago to get me to a position where I could share other people's stories. More importantly, it's what continues to drive my passion for helping educators, employers and the influences of young people to take a step back and to consider how we can all work together to support them in making better and more informed career decisions. Which brings me to today's guest, Ellie Yell, the CEO and founder of Fledgelink. The London-based startup is dedicated to supporting young people by providing access to free app-based careers advice and equal access to work. Fledgling has clients including Deutsche Bank, Borodafone, Unilever and Fidelity. An occupational psychologist of 15 years and author of The Ultimate Guide to Getting a Job, Ellie is a role model for the full-time working mother and the epitome of doing it anyway, juggling a blended family of five children. Ellie has successfully raised two rounds of investment as a female sole founder, No Easy Task, and is currently raising Fledgling's third round of investment now. Hello Ellie, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. On this snowy day. I know, it's great, isn't it? We'll be all <laughs> tobogganing down the, uh, the marsh later. <laughs> <laughs> so, tell us your career story. So, uh, my career story. So, I'll take you back to, um, yes, probably, like, actually A-levels. Um, where I did um, biology, psychology and English um, and I just 
absolutely loved psychology. Mm-hmm. Just all over it. Everything to do with just understanding sort of how people work, you know, what, what motivates them. I'm just really un, like so curious about understanding um, people's behaviour and, mm. and what makes them tick. And I felt like, I guess when you're sort of 16, 17 and you're trying to work yourself out, it just it just really seemed to fit with how I was feeling about myself at the time and what was going on for me. Um, and so, um, so inevitably I got an A in that and screwed everything else up because <laughs> I was just <laughs> focused on on psychology and so I went on to do psychology at, at uni. Mm. Um, one of the modules that I did was occupational psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's obviously all about psychology in work. And again, so varied. So from things to do with, you know, employee engagement and retention and motivation through to designing sort of cockpits for aeroplanes and that, that sort of human machine interaction as well they're very different very different yeah. but okay. it's if you think about it it's it's still all about like understanding the you know the psychology or the the sort of neuroscience behind um why you do things or getting like the most efficient processes all, all, all sorts of things like that um so yeah i just loved it and at the same time um i you know i've I think there's a lot of people who, you know, and part of the reason we do what we do is because there's a lot of people who don't know what they want to do, and and that's okay. And I was the other extreme, where Mm. I was like, right, this is what I want to do for my life and my career. And I also was thinking, like, forward, you know, sort of 10 years or so, and thinking, okay, well, I know that I want to have a family, but I also want to um, have... Um, my own independence um, and my own money and I felt like this route of psychology was something that would enable me to say own my own business um, whilst juggling a a young family. It was really interesting because when I reflect back to a conversation I had with one of my mum's friends when I was about 16 and she was, I mean, on the surface, she had like the best life ever. You know, she was, she didn't work. She, she spent most of the days at a golf club, um, a very lovely one. Um, and, and one, one afternoon she just said, to, she like grabbed my arm and she said to me, never, never stop earning your own money because you will, it will limit your options and you'll feel mm. trapped. Mm. And um, and it really sort of stuck with me that that um, that comment. Um, and so I really respected her. And so I thought, right, I'm going to keep that in mind for for as I go through my career, making sure that I always feel sort of financially independent. Mm. Is there an element of that as well that links into like work ethic as well? Is there anybody when you were growing up in your family that had a strong work ethic? Because I know when I started my own business, that my dad is somebody that I look up to and go, right, okay, well, he's done that and he works really hard and he sent us out at 11 and was just like, if you want pocket money, you're going to have to go and earn it now and those kind of things. Yeah. yeah. Um, so my, so 
uh, uh, my roots are, despite the accent, um, deeply rooted in Wales. <laughs> um, and so my my grandparents were for one of you know one side, you know, extremely working class. Mm -hmm. um, so my my grandma on my on my dad's side, um, she she was an orphan, I think, at the age of twelve or something, mm -hmm. and she was made to work in her auntie's chip shop, you know, from the age of 12, mm -hmm. um, pretty much full time, um, or any time that she wasn't in, in education, that, that, was her, mm. that was her life. And she didn't stop working from the age of, of 12 to probably 70. Um, and so her work ethic was, was immense. Um, and and my dad has taken on that same sort of work ethic. Mm. Um, extremely hard work. And he, he started as a PE teacher um, okay. and then moved uh, down to sort of Woking and Reading Way in the, the sort of IT boom. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and then developed, a, a, you know, his amazing career in, um, you know, in, in sort of IT and business de development alliances, went on mm. to manage really big sort of accounts between say Oracle and KPMG and, mm. and things like that. So um, <clears throat> he's retired now and even considering going back to work again. So so I think that like conscientiousness has always mm. been there yeah. in our family. And so going back to that point you made about wanting to earn your own money, what did that then kind of lead you on to next? So, yeah, so I was thinking, like, how do I, and I've, I always had, like, part-time jobs and things, um, and I was like, how do, I, how do I make my way in this, like, psychology world? So, mm. so after, after um, um, my uni degree, I went on to do a master's in occupational psychology, and I wanted to get some work experience, um, and I think I wrote letters and rang up like 30 different companies mm -hmm. um, to see if they'd give me some work experience. Um, and one of them came, came back to me, um, a company in Cheltenham, um, which is a small occupational psychology consultancy, and, and asked me to, um, you know, to come in for an interview and, and have a trial. Mm -hmm. um, and then, um, you know, three months later, I was still there. Um, and that was really the, the kickstart of, of my journey, you know, through occupational psychology. Um, so I was I was working for them, um, and then I really wanted to sort of see what it was like living in London, and so I moved from there to um, a global HR consultancy in London. So at the age of um, 22, um, I was then, you know, it really felt like I'd found my fit. Um, I got my qualifications, and I was, um, yeah, I was living in London at like the top, you know, feeling on top of the world. Excellent. And when you so when you're um, working um, in HR and you've got the occupational psychology piece, what's the difference? Is it the same, or is there a difference? Some people listening might be thinking, I'm not quite sure the difference. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question, and that that's something that I was grappling with to start with as well. Um, and 
I I would say it's two different. You know, it's it's very similar, but mm. you know, different routes. I think you probably tend to go a bit more niche into some stuff as it, from a psychology perspective. Like if you really want to say be developed like uh, statisticians or be developing those, mm. you know, hardcore psychometrics and um and stuff like that then there's definitely sort of that that mm. need to like have that have that qualification and things but but what yeah what really struck me from moving out of a niche like oxide practice into um a global hr consultancy is that i realized that i could do everything i love anyway you know without necessarily needing that you know that that sort mm. of uh, qualification behind me yeah and so what type of work did you use to do in that role then um again it was it was so very so from the first like the the building blocks of a job you know so actually interviewing people about um jobs and job analysis so actually building sort of job descriptions from scratch to um to thinking about organizational structures and designing organizational structures around you know around these jobs and um the and sort of the levels of jobs and how much they should get paid mm. um that was more i'd say yeah that seemed more impersonal and then the more personal stuff was around really designing say a competency model for an organization and how you um, you know how you level and measure that um, I would do like three hour in depth interviews with senior leaders for assessment or development and coaching designing assessment centers and recruitment mm -hmm. practices from from scratch um, so there's so much opportunity to get involved in in things and also you know what the other you know the other amazing opportunities was being able to work with a local council you know and a or a school mm -hmm. or a like global multinational business and be you know again at the age of like 22 23 flying all over the world to do my job nice i mean so my sister-in-law's got a, a global role and she's always going traveling around and flying through airports and stuff like do you get to a point with a job like that where it gets a bit tiresome, maybe, with, with travelling? I think sometimes people look at jobs that have got the opportunity to travel the world and think it's great. What's the dark side of it, if there is one? Well, uh, that's probably the wrong question for okay. me, because my my goal, or my husband and my goal in life is to visit 100 countries before we die. So, my, like... The idea of travelling to me is just amazing. And where are you? Where are you up to with the hundred? Um, we're over fifty now, collectively. Nice. So I've I've done about sixty, and okay. him a bit more. But we have to have both been to you know for if we're in order for it to count, mm -hmm. we have to have both been there. Um, so yeah, over fifty. I'm just thinking of a question that I'm going to ask you later on, but we'll ask it when we've come to um, what you're doing so, today. So yeah, I used to, I used to love travelling. Yeah, excellent. And so, what what's next in the story? So yeah, so I mentioned I was like on top of the world, um, get getting to London, get getting in this job, and what was also really interesting was I was in a part of the business and. And I'd al I've always been thinking like the next step ahead. So in even in my interview, 
they said, like, um, how, um, you know, how easy is it to like move across to the consulting side of the mm. business? Um, and they were like, oh no, no one's ever done that. Like, um, why not? <laughs> um, then, oh, it just, it just doesn't happen here. You know, that doesn't happen. And I just thought that seems crazy. You know, mm. crazy. I don't understand. And and so. When I got in, the, what I realised actually was that yes, there were these sort of silos and and divides, but but there just didn't seem that appetite from mm. from people to to want to do it. Um, and I thought, well, I'm just going to change that. <laughs> so um, three months, my three month probation um, interview, you know, um, meeting, and my manager said, "How's it going?" and I said, yeah, fine, but I want to work over there. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, I thought you were going to say that. Um, and so I, you know, I engineered a way for me mm. to to move across to, um, you know, to to the main sort of consulting side of, of the business. And I I was the the youngest sort of consultant that they ever had um, within within that organisation. Um, so at that time again I was feeling like super confident um, and then everything pretty much seemed to like crash around me. Okay, why? Um, because it's a very interesting culture mm -hmm. um, and it very highly um, driven by network and who you know um, it's very much like sink or swim and for those first three months, you know, bearing in mind I was still like, only 22, I think I was left to, to my own devices really, mm. like trying to navigate this, this way um, around the business and, um, and again, like three months into it, I, I had a meeting with my now new boss. And I said, you know, I'm just, I'm really struggling to sort of, you know, find my fit. No, people aren't put, putting me on projects or taking mm -hmm. me to meetings. Um, you know, what what's going on? And um, and he said, well, the thing is, I think basically everyone questions your credibility. And and I, I was like, okay, uh, tell me a bit more about that. <laughs> um, and um, he said, well. The thing is, you know, they'll see um, you walk into a meeting, they'll see your, you know, your long blonde hair, how you dress, um, you know, that you're, you're attractive and uh, instantly they just won't, you know, they, they, it, just, it just makes us question, mm. you know, your credibility. I was thinking, oh my gosh, like, I'm working in a HR consultancy and and someone's not given me a chance yet, and they're they all of these things are very superficial, um, and me being quite mischievous, um, I was like, okay, um, is uh, you know, is there any other feedback that you'd like to give me? And he said, well, you also do have a very high voice, um, and at this point, I'm like. Right, I can't. I actually like. I'm really confused by <laughs> what I'm hearing. I'm a 22 year old female. Mm. Like I, d I didn't realise until this point that uh, that my voice was particularly high compared to others. Um, so I said, to, I said to him, um, 
okay I can I can dress differently I can put my hair up um, I can you know I, I can try and change my appearance like what do you want me to do about my voice and he said um, well I've spoken to HR and I've got you some voice coaching so now all of HR knows that I have this issue as well with my and I was thinking, oh I just wanted this uh, a hole to you know come yeah. along and just swallow me up because mm. it's kind of like a non-issue really to me it sounds like somebody is clutching at straws to find a, a, a safe way of saying something that they don't want to say honestly I don't I mean to this day I, uh, I, I still just can't quite believe this is the first conversation I'm having mm. with my boss after three months of sort of being abandoned you know so so I said you know what I think I really need is you to take me to a client and give me a chance and put mm. me on a project yeah. and 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 maybe just see how I get on because yeah. you might be surprised good for you <laughs> and um and so so he did you know and um and he and he was really impressed <laughs> with with the work that I produced and in in the in the sort of follow-up meeting I, I knew it was coming and and he he said you know I, I can't help thinking that some of the feedback that I gave you um, before has really helped and and I just said can I just stop you there um, and I and I said to him none of that helped um, the, the whole reason I wanted you to put me on a project with you is so that I could prove you and all of the other senior people in this business wrong. And I just walked out. Goodness me. Good for you. I mean, that, that's a very brave thing to do in a good way. Because a lot of people probably just sit on it and go, okay, I'm, I don't know how to deal with that. So. But then I didn't deal with it very well. Okay. Because for the next 10 years, I... I felt like every single person in that business felt that way about mm. me and it and it totally knocked my confidence for the whole time and made me question everything mm. about myself and um, you know coming into that business and leaving that business I was a totally like, different person mm. and not not in not in a good way not in a in, in a in a positive upward way in a held back Mm. like downtrodden away yeah um and that was that was one of of a number of sort of challenges in in that period of mm. time um and another reason for driving me to want to start my own thing um so that i i didn't have to face other people's sort of judgment and and criticism mm. um of things that quite frankly shouldn't matter. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we're coming to the bit of you setting up your own thing, but how did you, were there any ways that you went about building your confidence back up over that time? Uh, honestly, not really. I mean, I, and, and that's the thing about like, at some point realizing, you know, you've got to, you, that things happen to you in life and you only you have the choice of how to deal with them um, and whether to move on from them whether to stay in the moment mm. with it yeah. um, and and that and it just took me a long time to 
to come to realize that this was nothing to do with me. This was other people's views, other people's perceptions, um, other people's judgments, stereotypes, etc. Um, all I can do is my own thing and do, you know, and do a good job to the best of my ability mm. um, and not worry so much about what everyone else thinks. Yeah. Um, and so, but yeah, if you, if you ask my husband that question, he would say that what I'm doing now is the first time that he's seen me um, be how I used to be when I first started my career. That's nice. <laughs> and I mean, that, like, I, I didn't know you in that time, but I've always seen you as being a very confident person in terms of what you're doing and being one of the few female founders in the student recruitment early career space with, um, with Fledgling. Mm. Um, but also as well, just from having conversations with you, you've got a very positive kind of persona around you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Might not feel like I'll it try. sometimes. I know, I know when you're a founder, you can kind of just be like a roller coaster all yeah. the time, can't you? So tell us more about what you're doing now then. Okay, so so after yeah, so after that that visit, I I had um you know I had I had two boys, and I at that point I knew you know I wanted to start my own business, so I started my own consultancy. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was the first business that I had, really, and it was called Estrella People Consulting because it was all about helping identify stars and talent mm. um, and developing talent for for organisations. Um, and it was per it was exactly as I dreamed, like when I was seventeen. You know that I could have a young family, juggle that with working for myself and earning like a decent wage mm. and still having like a career. Um, and then, um, and then the thing that you don't really learn about when you're um, uh, independent, you know, consultant or you know, doing your business is is that it's actually quite lonely. Yes. And also, um, there's, you know, people will buy your services for things that they know you're good at. Um, and so you're doing the same thing, you know, all, all the time. And so if you're someone who needs to feel like they're being stretched and learning and challenged, mm -hmm. it's, it's also quite, it, you know, there's only so much time you can do that without feeling you're just sort of stagnating. Mm. Um, and, and I, uh, you know, and so I reflected back on what I used to love really doing. And it was anything to do with um, helping people at the start of the journey, mm. that work journey. And I read, I started reading more and more around it. And I was just getting more and more frustrated by what I was reading um, around the, you know, the lack of support and, un, you know, resource and underfunding for careers provision uh, within schools in particular, the lack of equal access to that knowledge, um, to opportunities to you know role models and networks of support for those people who need it the most um, organizations trying to drive a diversity agenda and going how the hell do we attract like 
Gen Z uh, when they're not on emails, when you know that it's so crowded in the like informal social media mm. space, um, and all those things are sort of coming together for me. And so I I start with all of my knowledge around designing competency models, around designing assessments and the processes. I started a company called Demo You, and. Um, Demo U was about providing really immersive assessment centre experiences for those from socially disadvantaged and minority backgrounds. Okay. And so um, the competency model was based on, you know, a lot of research around, you know, what are 90% of the things that that companies really look for in the, in a young person. Mm -hmm. And so I designed a demo you like competency model with levels and that was what they were measured against but in a super developmental way mm -hmm. so they have a like digital dashboard of stuff that they do in advance like an online application form and um, personality ability tests and then throughout the day they were paired with the mentor um, and the the in, and they go through all the different types of things like presentation, group exercise, role play, mm -hmm. all of that, as well as like loads of self-reflection activities. Um, and the impact of them was amazing. So like 45% reduction in anxiety, having gone through this one-day event, 33% increase in confidence to now even feel like they could apply for a job. Mm. Um, and this... You know, and part of what spurred this on was when I was doing the research around it, I was interviewing young people about how they felt about sort of going into the workplace, what was going to hold them back. And this one girl um, I spoke to called Alicia, um, she was at this Russell Group University, right? And, um, and I, I said, what do you think is going to hold you back from, um, from doing the job that you want? And... And she said, being poor, black and female. And it just really hit me. That, that's the mindset she's going into, the, into work thinking. Mm. Um, and you think, what, you know, what about all of those Alicia's that didn't even get make it to uni? Mm -hmm. um, how are they feeling about like, leaving education, leaving school and entering into work? And so <clears throat> that really spurred... Like, demo you on for me and then what happened I guess it's like entrepreneurial thing kicking in is that wasn't enough for me to like impact 12 people in an amazing way um at one time um how can how can we take the core mission and concept of demo you mm -hmm. and scale it to help loads more people because what I was uncovering was that yes those from disadvantaged and minority backgrounds need more support and hand-holding but there's a whole generation who are lost and mm. confused yeah. and need need support and guidance um and so how do we help millions of young people not just just 12 mm. and so you know in in startup world everyone loves a pivot and so you could say that you know fledgling was a pivot from from demo you and that that core concept and what we've done now is build both you know the the app itself to to be the scalable solution mm -hmm. but have brought in the elements of of demo you and workshops and that high touch piece because 
that's so critical and important as well mm. to to really helping like you know young people um discover themselves um and get prepared for the future of work yeah i mean so um I, I, we kind of talked about it briefly in the bio that i read out for you at the start but for those people that maybe don't know what Fledgling is, or employers that might be listening and thinking, how do I get involved with that? What does Fledgling um, offer young people and employers? So, so Fledgling, our mission is to be the most helpful and supportive platform for young people as they journey through the final years of education and into work. Mm -hmm. um, so by helping them really understand themselves first and foremost, which I think is just a massive, like, missing piece, um, yeah. it seems like we jump from, you know, that them doing, like, core subjects to, okay, what career do you want to do? You know, and actually let's understand you as a person, let's, let's help you more confidently know yourself and articulate that story mm -hmm. um so there's the self-discovery piece and then there's the discovering what's out there piece um and so we're very like agnostic in that way as in you know we're we're not trying to push a particular sector we're not trying to push uni or you know apprenticeships or starting your own business mm -hmm. what we want is them to make more confident decisions yeah so success for us by engaging with Fledgling is that a young person has become more confident and self-aware in themselves, but then makes a more confident decision about whether they go to university, whether they leave and do an apprenticeship or start their own business. Mm -hmm. um, for employers, um, it provides a, an engaging way through which to attract and engage and hire um, f diverse future future talent mm -hmm. and everyone talks about diversity a lot um, but we are really focused on on going to those places where we where we know that there is diverse talent so for example that that really determines who we want to partner with um, it you know uh, in in the you know whether that's councils or housing associations or certain charities mm -hmm. um, that help us support those um, particularly sort of hard hardest to reach. Yeah, and it is that it's that hardest to reach piece because I think there is. I think it was at the ISC student um, recruitment conference last summer. There was a session, and somebody said there isn't a war for talent. The war for talent has been created because we're all going to the same places. And we're ignoring the cold spots and the places. I mean, I've just come back from having three weeks uh, back at my parents, and they're gone to my old school and my sixth form. Whilst I've been there, I'm kind of like, well, it's not changed. It's it's not. I've always kind of looked at it and gone, it's so far away from everywhere else. And then it's been pointed out that actually you can get on the train and go into Manchester. So it's not like it's the end of the world, but the opportunities are not the same. Um, and it's it's great that there's something there for young people that gives that level level playing field. I think. Yeah, and that's really what we're trying to achieve. And and the other thing I have a really big bugbear about is around diversity and in inclusion. Is that I feel that like they're often talked about in the same, you know, one and the same thing. Um, and that that there's a lot around. Okay, well we've, you know we've got this many 
fame people now in our business or this many LGBTQ. Okay, but what are you doing around inclusion once they're there? Yeah. And so, um, and that's the bit that seems to be forgotten a lot of the time. And so with our employer profiles, on um, within Fledgling, which are super engaging, um, give give young people the information they need all in one place with video content. We also have these diversity badges that they can click on and really understand um, what a, what an organisation is doing to proactively support so someone like them who they if they identify mm. with that. And that also includes a badge called Connect. Um, and that's for um, organisations who are taking on ex-offenders and willing to give them a second chance as well. Um, and so it's shining a light on those organisations who are doing great things, but at the same time holding organisations to account because young people can also filter the job board based on these diversity mm. goals as well. Yeah, absolutely, and it's, it's really important, Magenta said as well, because they can they can smell a rat. They look through things. They can see whether or not something's truthful, and if you're not able to really articulate what it is that you're actually doing, then they're going to go and look elsewhere. And then you're right with the inclusion and diversity piece. I think, and I always put the I before the D, but then I always kind of think, well, that goes down into. Um, developing a sense of belonging and then that feeds into fear and shame and everything like that and you being able to actually feel like you can go to work and be your the best version of yourself yeah and your story that you're telling there kind of have how you've been taken to one side and kind of said can you talk differently dress differently look differently is not an example of best practice for inclusion because it's excluding somebody yeah and quite brutally in a way as well and absolutely not going to get the best out out of me. No, exactly, exactly. And that's what's going to be the trouble with young people as well, because the transition from the classroom, I've seen it when I used to be a teacher, into the workplace is massive. I've seen young people struggle when they move from GCSEs to A-levels and not being able to kind of change the, the way that they work, because it becomes a lot more independent thinking when you're doing sixth form. And they've got used to being given scaffolding and worksheets and told what they need to do and teach to the test kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and that independence of thought comes into career planning, I think. It's about you, like you've been saying, about self-discovery and then discovering um, what's out there as well. So what challenges have you faced um, setting Fledgling up? Um, a lot. Um, and, you know, a lot of things that I've learned along the way and would have, have done done differently. Um, the, you know, in particular challenges, you know, building a tech business when you're not the techie um, is, um, is very diff difficult. Um, but to, you know, to counter that, I feel like there's absolutely a need for non-technical people to be building technical businesses. I mean, in some ways, all businesses are now, you know, te technical, and actually that diversity of thought, you mm. know, that come comes with not being the technical person, I think is is an advantage. Mm -hmm. um, but it, you know, it has it has come with some, you know, some difficulties. Um, secondly, um, being a sole founder has has not helped in any way <laughs> when it comes to um, raising investment um, in particular but also obviously workload you know there's I don't have I don't, I don't have another person to share um, these these big 
tasks and decisions with or you know sometimes you have three or four co-founders mm-hmm. um so it's all on me and the, and the pressure's all on me um at, at the top at the same time i would say i've heard way more bad negative stories about businesses that have been co-founded and then people falling out or trying to you know like backstab and exit one you know over the other and so all of all of that politics doesn't exist and Mm. and can just get on with the job so I think there's a lot to be said for um you know for also considering you know sole founded businesses more um thirdly as being female and I'm not just saying that but it's it's a thing (laughs) especially again when it comes to um it comes to raising you know raising investment um which as as a tech business again that's like that's that's what we have to do you know these are the sort of cycles that that you go through of of raising you know raising money to keep enhancing the product Mm -hmm. and, and growing you know growing the growing the team um so yeah, uh, you know, I I did an uh, an article for the Times recently, and yeah, well, you know, they they led with my comment, which was on paper, like everything was against me, um, and but we're still here, and still, you know, and in our third round now, and I have an amazing, passionate, motivated team um, supporting me through through that journey. Yeah. You do, and I think when when you're talking about not being a techie person but owning a tech business, that's where they come into their own and and help to support you, isn't it as well? Yeah, and to and to move it forwards. So, why would you say that it's more difficult for female founders to um, raise investment? Um, there's so there's a lot of complex like interwoven things going on on here. Um, but just you know, just to pull out a, a couple. Obviously, a lot of the the people that I'm talking to do not look like me and are not the same gender. And go, so going into a room again as a as a sole founder on my own as a female to a room of three white male, very you know influential mm. investors is is very daunting and you know and there's been lots of research around sort of the just unconscious bias um around how um you know how the pitching process the whole conversation is is weighted you know against female or you know diverse founders um so you know for example there's amazing piece of research that has come out recently um where this um this student analysed the types of questions that female founders were asked relative to male founders as part of um, recorded pitching processes. That's interesting. Um, And what they found was that male founders get asked more promotion questions, and Mm. by promotion questions they mean, um, what are your aspirations for for the future? Like, where where do you see this business going in, in five years? They're sort of promotion questions. And so they get asked those types of questions, you know, 66% of the time more than females. Mm-hmm. And females get asked prevention questions 
67% more, more times than males. So by prevention questions, um, and I can give you an exact example now, mass, you know, this is such a massive risk for us. You know, like it's, it's really risky building a, a community. It's going to take time. You know, the revenues are going to come in so slowly. How are you going to deal with that? So immediately you're on like a, a negative fitting. Mm. Um, and, and they analyze this and it apparently has led to, to male investors getting seven times more investment than female investors, than female founders. Um, wow. So that's just what, you know, one stat. So there's just this inherent bias even about how you are spoken to mm. in those types of meetings. Um, but the even more, um, you know, sad um, statistic is that one pence in every pound in 2018 went to a female founder. One pence? In every pound. Wow. So it's not just a thing. You know, I'm not just saying, oh, I'm female. So, mm. you know, this is really, this is this is just really hard for me it you know this this is a reality that that is happening a, across the world gosh that's an amazing stat I mean, it's not an amazing in a good way stat either though it's quite shocking gosh and yeah. so when yeah. i'm when i'm up against competitors within this market trying trying to access the the same funds you know the same types of investors mm -hmm. um i'm i'm fighting a, a battle mm -hmm. um because of my gender gosh. right that is shocking gosh okay so you're uh, you're a mum as well aren't yeah. you <laughs> yeah. yeah how does that fit in with everything that you do but also help to um, make you successful in the work that you're doing because there are a lot of things that you do as a mum that will help what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I should say my that motherhood for me started when I was 26 um, because I fell in love with a guy that came with three kids. <laughs> so <laughs> suddenly my world got turned upside down um, and I, you know, I, I was then respond partly responsible for the um you know the the well-being of a eight six and four year old um who are now 19 17 and 15 um and and so that was you know being a stepmom has its own challenges mm -hmm. around how much you can you know you can influence and shape and um and things like that um and and then we went on to have uh, two more so so we now in total have four boys and and one girl um so outside of work outside of the 60 hours a week that i do now i'm i'm juggling all of all of that you know so so weekends for me are not restful <laughs> they are looking after sometimes you know five five children yeah. um and the Friday just rolls into the Monday because we've also done, you know, rugby swimming, stagecoach, <laughs> or, you know, all of these other things, cooking, cooking, cooking. Um, and so it's, you know, it, I always say, like, if you want a job doing, giving, give it to a mother because 
the amount of capacity of stuff that we can take on mm. is unbelievable mm. and the skills that you learn in in being a mother are i i believe are so well suited to starting your own business and being an entrepreneur yeah excellent and um do what are their what are your children have they got any aspirations already of what they want to do for careers i know it's josh isn't it has done like some yeah. youtube stuff Job but, uh, yeah, yeah. Turn so yourself into a little influencer yeah. slash news broadcaster. So there, Josh, a is, Josh is eight, and once again, like classic scenario, you know, I, I was going to an apprenticeship fair on the weekend. Uh, my husband was away, so I just took them along with me, um, and I and it was such an interesting um, thing actually because I said to I said to Josh, right, go and ask that company, I won't name the company, um, go and speak to that man and ask him to explain what he does um, to you very simply. And, um, and so Josh went out and said, what, what do you do? And um, the, the fear in the guy's face of having to explain something about probes going to Saturn and back to an eight-year-old was hilarious. And um, and I said to Josh, did that make any sense? And, and he went, not at all. And, and so I said, right, we're going to come back in five minutes and then explain it again to him. And, uh, and this guy was, was like, right. I'm, and, you know, so you could see the cogs whirring you know, in, in his brain. And then we came back again and he totally changed what he said yeah. to, to Josh. And Josh got it in an instant. And, and I just thought, that's... Like that's what we need to create in Fledgling. We need to we need to help these young people who've never understood work before to to get it to to understand and make it relevant for them, mm -hmm. um, and not be this sort of corporate um, bleep <laughs> um, yeah. that they just don't buy into and don't in, engage with. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, it just with Josh, it just led on to him now doing these interviews. Um, this eight-year-old who's unemployed and he's trying to figure out what he wants to do in life. So he goes around interviewing um, interesting people about their jobs, um, <clears throat> but with really useful and helpful questions, but in a fun, engaging way. So, so he's already, you know, on this path of of like on entrepreneurialism himself he's like when's my next you know next interview um but the older ones it's really interesting because they are so different um but but what ties them all together is again this fear of of n not knowing whether they're making the right decisions mm. not feeling like they get enough help and support around those decisions so they are perfect user testers you know for for us um and they you know these these are well-educated you know happy well-rounded young people um and they're they're still feeling scared and and confused you know cameron's about to go to uni and still scared whether like that's the right decision for him or not mm. um so it's you know, this is a real thing that they are all feeling all the time. Yeah. And I think with the fear piece as well, it's sometimes it's the fear of you've closed the door behind you, so you're kind of like, right, I made a choice, now I can't really go back. Oh, there's the fear of the unknown that's in front of you when you've made the choice. Um, and with those escalating fees, 
that's a big decision to make. It is. So it means that you need to be smarter and need to be thinking a bit more further ahead, like you've done when you were younger and kind of going like, okay, well, this is what I want to do, or this is where I'd like to go next. And we don't, I don't think we teach young people that enough. Yeah. Um, and it's, but we it's also don't we also don't let them know it's okay not to know yeah. and you know which is our hashtag like they they feel so much pressure all mm. the time um, from parents from from schools to have to know what mm. you know what it is that that they want to do yeah. um, and and the reality is they don't and that they'll probably end up having eight careers in their lives and so we need to teach them the skills that enable them to make those changes not not these technical you know particular technical skills but these what are these bigger meta skills that are going to help them thrive throughout their whole career yeah totally and you and i both know have been founders of business that the mistakes are the things that make you stronger in a way some ways as well absolutely and the uh, yeah and the discrimination and challenge of others yeah Okay, so I'm going to um, ask you the one question that every guest gets asked every week, and that is, and it's very pertinent for what we've just been talking about around young people and career decisions, what is the one piece of career advice that you would give somebody that's listening today, not necessarily a young person, but anybody that's thinking about careers? If something doesn't feel right, don't do it. Just to give you an example, you know, there, there was a time when... I was presented with an offer um, from a certain well-known investor mm -hmm. um, and which came with a lot of demands you know from them um, and you know whilst it was very attractive something just didn't didn't feel right and didn't sit right with me um, and I chose not to take that that support mm -hmm. um, and in turn it and that was a really big decision um, for me to make at that time because we were you know a month away from not having any, any money left um, and um, and the resulting thing is that we got blocked because of the because of the influence and power this person had from a number of different things because of who they knew um, and and all that did was actually make me really happy that I I, I turned that down because mm. we'll always be okay we moved on like we'll find other ways yeah. and other avenues um, but but my, my, it just didn't feel right. Mm. And, and so many decisions that I've had to make <clears throat> in this business, I've, I've made based on something just not quite feeling right or feeling perfect. Yeah. Um, and most of the time, they've been the right decisions. Mm. It's that piece around uh, trusting your gut, isn't it? And your gut instincts. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, it's been great chatting to you today. I've certainly learned a lot of things about you that I didn't know before. <laughs> um, and it's a really interesting story that you've got there. Um, so um, I'm going to put through some links through to Fledgelink in the show notes so that everybody can go and have a look. 
Um, and if you've enjoyed listening to the episode today, please do go and leave a review for us. It really does um, help in terms of getting the message out there. And we'll be back next week with another guest. Um, bye for now. <laughs>